You are listening to the sermon podcast of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, a Christ-centered church in Germantown, Maryland. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org. So Lent, we're starting Lent today. Lent is a time of self-evaluation, reflection of sin areas where we would like to change, and a time to trust God with those areas of change. Tonight, we're going to be reading Psalm 51. If you'd like to take out your pew Bible and follow along, I would encourage you to do that. Psalm 51 is a beautiful passage of David's self-evaluation that leads to repentance. And to give some context before we read it, this Psalm of David's comes after a very dark time in his life. And we can read about that in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and plotted to have her husband Uriah killed. Now David does not initially feel the weight of his guilt and his sin. But then God sends a prophet, Nathan, to minister to David and convict him of his sin. It is then that David understands and confesses. And this psalm is his confession. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment." Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice." Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or would I give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So David's repentance reveals to us God's sustaining love, a sincere and honest confession, and a joyful spirit in repentance. So we're going to start first, first discussing God's sustaining love. David's petition is based upon God's steadfast love in verse 1. 
These two words translate to the Hebrew word hesed, a term used for a special covenant loyalty the Lord always displays to his people. This hesed is a love that never changes, one that relentlessly pursues the elect, even when they do not act in love toward God. David knows well the steadfast character of the Almighty and asks the Lord to forgive him just as he has forgiven his people before. This king of Israel knew the Lord would respond to his sin with either mercy or wrath. Tonight, consider that David can only appeal to God's mercy when he implores him to blot out his transgressions as we see in verse 1. Obviously, this cannot mean that the Lord forgets sin or ignores it. When God erases our record, he no longer holds our sin against us, but he never literally forgets it. Still, as Dr. R.C. Sproul says, once sin is forgiven, the Lord treats it as if it never happened. So brothers and sisters in Christ, I felt that some of us needed that word tonight, that the Lord does not hold on to your forgiven sin, so you shouldn't either. Repentance involves a desire to be clean. God can take the vilest sinner and make him the most immaculate saint. Because of God's sustaining love, he alone can remove the guilt of our evil. Friends, God delights to forgive us and restore us. Rest in his sustaining love for you, ultimately demonstrated in Jesus Christ. We can come confidently to the throne of grace and confess the sinfulness of our sins. Not only the behavioral sin, the things that we did, but the sins of an idolatrous heart, the sins of our thought life, knowing that in Christ Jesus, death of all our sins, Christ Jesus' death, all our sins are forgiven, all our guilt is satisfied, and all of our shame is dealt with. Not only do we see the sustaining and steadfast love of God, but we hear David's sincere and honest confession. David's repentance in Psalm 51 is so thorough that he makes sure to mourn every aspect of his sin with Bathsheba. He pleads for God to deliver him from the guilt of his murder in verse 14, plainly referenced to a sin of having Uriah placed where he was sure to be killed. The king knows he must repent for every part of his sin, and he does so in order to find the full joy of forgiveness. David also makes several references to his mouth, tongue, and lips as he repents before the Lord. And we should note how this whole region of our bodies is singled out as an area of defilement in Scripture. Isaiah utters, I am a man of unclean lips, and when he, sees the whole, um, when he sees the Holy One of Israel. Paul describes the fallen nature of mankind using the image of a throat as an open grave in Romans chapter 3, verses 13 through 14. Yet when cleansed, these same mouths can be in avenues of cleanliness, as evident in the importance of seeing praise to God found throughout Scripture, like we see in many of the Psalms. Those who repent gain such purified lips, and this is David's hope in Psalm 51. Interestingly, David tells us in the same psalm that the Lord does not delight in sacrifices in verses 16 and 17. He's not disparaging the Old Testament ceremonies. Rather, he reveals how in and of themselves the blood offered by the priests avails nothing 
without true sorrow for sin, sacrifices would not cover the guilty person's transgressions. Likewise, Jesus has not made atonement for those who do, do not exhibit genuine and sincere repentance in their lives. This point shows us how necessary it is to distinguish between true and false repentance. Attrition or false repentance is the sorrow we have for the consequences of our sin without being ashamed of violating God's standards. If we are sorry only because we are being punished or getting caught, we do not have true repentance. This is, I feel like I'm talking to my children now, right? Contrition, on the other hand, is being sorry for sinning against God Almighty. It recognizes our Creator would be just to condemn us and does not try to shift the blame to someone else. God will never despise those who express contrition. He forgives all those who repent in humility. And we see that in verse 17. In verse 4, it reminds us our wrongs, the sins that we do, are our first and foremost sins against the Lord. True repentance realizes our transgressions are heinous because they violate God's holy character. If you have a contrite heart that recognizes this truth, you can be assured that you have been forgiven. If you are sorry that you might get caught, you are in danger of having a false repentance. So ask the Spirit to produce real sorrow for sin in your heart today. In fact, David's confession about a person's inward being helps us to better comprehend the extent of our corruption and the cleansing we need from the Lord. And verse 6 recognizes that God delights in truth that comes from within ourselves, wisdom learned in the secret heart. Basically, David reminds us of the Father's concern with our inner motivations and disposition. External sins do break rules. He has laid down for us, but we can be free from sin on the surface and yet still be full of iniquity within. Jesus makes this point repeatedly in his confrontations with the Pharisees. You could look at Matthew chapter 23, for example. If we are pure in body but not in mind, we do not live by the inward truth in which our creator delights. Neither is he pleased if we smile with our mouths and then hate with our thoughts. We are born in corruption, verse 5 explains to us. Therefore, God's truth must penetrate into our hearts and transform us if we are to be holy. If we do not recognize our need of our hearts to be renewed and live by the power of the Spirit as those who belong to the Lord, our repentance is lacking. Psalm 51 also emphasizes the necessity of thorough cleansing from sin in verse 7. Hyssop is a small, bushy plant thought to be from the mint family, and it's part of a cleansing ritual for leprosy conducted to ensure the leper was completely free of the disease, and we see that in Leviticus chapter 14. In referencing this plant, David is likewise revealing that true repentance involves a desire to be without even the slightest trace of sin. Remember that Jesus has cleansed us from our sins. He has dealt with our need for cleansing. We are clean, and yet God still wants us to, to be sincerely and honestly confessing the sinfulness of our sin. Even as we confess, there is a sense of joy that we can experience. And we're looking at verses 8 and 12 now. King David gives, gives us that sense, even as he's repenting from his sins, he's experiencing joy. 
In verse 8, it says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Then in verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. David recognizes the hand of the Lord in in convicting him of his sin in verse 8. The spirit has crushed his bones metaphorically and they need healing. As God pricks our consciences and impresses upon us the stark reality of our sin, we will feel our souls breaking under the weight of his holiness. Yet because he loves us, his goal in drawing us to repentance is to restore a right relationship to him and bring us joy. This is far different from the accusations of Satan who reminds us of our sin in order to drive us to despair. The process of repentance can be rough and hurt, but remember that the Lord chastises us at times because he loves us, and that is the way he chooses to restore us into full health. If you are crushed under the weight of your sin, understand God breaks you in order that he may heal you. If in your sin you are tempted to despair and believe the Lord cannot forgive you, Know that he will if you repent and stand firm against the devil's accusing tongue. I want to end with these thoughts tonight from Pastor Tim Keller. And you know this is from Pastor Jeff if it's ending with a Tim Keller quote. You got that? Greg, thank you. Restoration comes as a result of a heart that is free from pride and humbly comes before the Lord in repentance. If you don't believe in the gospel, you will always try to do more for God to forgive you. Or if you have been sinned against, you will demand more of that person before you grant them forgiveness. Both of the sides of this coin only end in hurt, bitterness, guilt, and shame. We don't accept God's mercy and grace because we see ourselves or someone else as our functional savior. And we can't forgive because we don't see that we are truly forgiven in Christ alone. It is only God that can create a clean heart in you. Not support groups, pastors, counselors, ministry directors. There's nothing wrong with any of these groups as long as they lead you to Christ as your only means of healing. We are not called to penance, but to repentance. And our daily repentance is good as the Holy Spirit brings to light the truth of who we are in the flesh, but made righteous in Christ. In order to live a mentally healthy life, we need to live aware of our sin and of God's love and forgiveness in Christ. It is only the morally self-righteous that ignores this through either denial or a false humility. There are many who will always call themselves a sinner until someone confronts him or her with a specific sin. The falsely humble react in anger and not humility and repentance. So experience his steadfast love that moves you to honest and sincere confession and provides you real joy of being forgiven and cleansed. Now, sisters and brothers in Christ, uh, we're going to invite you to the Lenten discipline. Every year at Easter, we celebrate with joy our redemption and renewal through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The season of Lent is a time to prepare for the celebration and to make room in our lives for the Spirit of God to renew us in this mystery. We begin this holy season by acknowledging our need for repentance and our need for the love and forgiveness shown to us in Christ. 
I invite you, therefore, in the name of Christ, to observe a holy Lent by self-examination and penitence, by prayer and fasting, by practicing works of love, and by reading and reflecting on God's holy word. Let us begin our Lenten journey together by confessing our sins and seeking the forgiveness and new life that is promised to us in Jesus Christ. So, we can say this together. Have mercy upon us, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercies, blot out our transgressions, wash us thoroughly from our iniquity, and cleanse us from our sin, for we know our transgressions and our sin is ever before us. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within us. Cast us not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and uphold us within a willing spirit through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now we'll have a moment of silence for your own personal prayer.